0: And welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds.
1: Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession.
0: Restrictions are still with us. Experiences are still unprecedented. But Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics.
1: So, fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener.
0: Lucy, it's really nice to see you again. Um... Do you know, when we had that week off, I really missed doing the podcast. Although it was a nice rest, I, I really did actually miss oh. doing the podcast. It, well, so did you I. know, I missed I miss seeing you uh, almost every day. It's <laughs> it's you know, it's nice to keep in touch with your fellow head gardeners. It
1: is. We we know and- each other's lounges very well, don't we? Now. <laughs> and seal ceil- it and seal no, it.
0: Yeah, the de- you can see the decorating in my room is, uh, yeah, a bit a bit different. I am looking forward to seeing you in in, in uh, person. Yeah, some our, time in the future. But, he-
1: talking Heads tour. Yeah,
0: that's it. The Talking Heads roadshow. It's official. And talk about the Talking Heads roadshow. We've had a, a listener get in touch. Now, most of our listeners get in touch with us via Twitter or on the internet. Mm. This one came all the way to Stonelands
1: to see me oh my goodness no, really
0: no i it, yeah it is actually someone i know oh. so it's not as it's, <laughs> it's not someone who's tracked me down not to uh, stalk me <laughs> at the house but um the local um the treasure for my local hardy plant society whose name is mike wheeler mm. hello mike um came in this morning to stonelands to actually pass on uh, a collection of epithelium orchid cacti uh, I now have 16 new varieties of orchid cactus. Oh, my
1: goodness. Well, I saw the pictures so, yes. of them in the, in the winter and early spring when they were flowering, and you've got loads yeah. of them, haven't you? So
0: I've got a fair amount now. So that's another collection and more room I have to find for more plants. <laughs>
1: You'll do that's it. That's
0: another podcast. Uh, maybe we should get Nick on this one to give her opinion of the amount of plants that take over my house. Anyway, back to Mike. Mike uh, wanted to talk to you about his espaliered... Apples. Or is top fruit in general.
1: Oh, Mike, right. I'm all ears. He he's
0: interested in whether grass growing right up to the trunk mm. has any detrimental effect on their fruiting. And what he should really do with them. Should he take the grass away? Or should he keep the grass there? And I did say to him that uh, Stoneins, our orchard is all grassed and that's right up to the tree. And I generally have it there to keep the vigour down so that it increases the fruiting. That's mm. what I believe is the science behind it. But I thought as we got the fruit and veg expert <laughs> with the book and the the radio show and everything about fruit and veg, wow. uh, I said i pass on the question from Mike uh, to you. So what do you think? Well,
1: do you know what then? I'm going uh, to... What, what we have at the hall and what we have at home is different to what you have at stonelands because at at home i have a few espalier apples i've got three of them and one espalier pear, and they have got bare earth beneath them but they're in beds that are bare earth anyhow so that would have been Mm. um the, the, the state of play regardless of whether there was grass there or not the the trees that we have at the hall that are in grass actually do have a circle of bare earth around their base about one and a half meters diameter and that's it means that we can really? mulch them with manure and we can apply things like sulfate of potash and we can irrigate that area quite freely. So um, I think if you say if you've got apples that are in grass and they're struggling, then I think it would be worthwhile taking the grass away so that they can be mulched and fed and all that shenanigans and irrigated. But if they're not struggling, then they're obviously vigorous enough not to not to need um, any anything mm. to help them with the competition. So it's as i said i don't want to say that the way you're doing it is wrong the way i'm doing it is right i don't think there's with horticulture there's never a, a, i don't think there's many wrongs and rights there's just different ways so
0: you're you're being guided by the plant itself in some way yeah. so if mike's espaliers aren't doing so well mm. it might be worth taking away the grass give them a, a good mulch exactly. And and he did ask me about feed, and you mentioned soft, sulfate of So the of sulfate potash of potash, there.
1: which like you say, all, all um, fruiting plants, we we put a dusting of that on our um, around our trees in late January, early February. But but then bear in mind we're on really sandy light soil, so we feed annually quite heavily. Anyhow, we put manure on, and uh, as the mulch, well-rotted horse manure, because we've got horses yeah. on the estate, so we have an access to that. So that's got various, you know, lots of nitrogen in it, and as I say, sulfate of potash also in um as i say late january early february things like um plums and pears and cooking apples are quite hungry for nitrogen so as i say with us light sandy soil we do feed quite heavily so if mike's on a lighter soil then he might want to think about feeding but if he's on a really fertile clay soil then he probably won't need to do that so much because clay by its very nature it locks onto nutrients much much better than sandy soils do so it's doing it specific to the environment that you've got isn't it i think that's the thing
0: yeah it's being guided by your garden
1: yeah and your soil and your and your and your plants yeah,
0: yeah. oh well thanks for that lucy I, i'm sure mike I, I know mike has actually listened to every single podcast episode
1: oh mike uh, since you superstar. episode
0: 1 and uh, he really enjoys them uh, so I hope that's helped you, Mike. And um, if you want to answer, uh, ask us a question, please do. You don't have to come all the way down to Devon to, <laughs> to track me down at Stonelands. Unless, of course, you're going to bring me lots of lovely exotics in the boot of your car. Then please, by all means, come down. But if you do want to ask us a question, please get in touch with us through our social media platforms. We can either help you on there or we might even make it a subject for a, a future podcast yeah, that would be uh, exactly that would be great Exactly. and uh, talking yeah. of subjects um we're, yes. we're going to have a little chat about what uh, the perceived nature of horticulture is that what we're calling it or something like that I,
1: I think we're going to say something like that isn't it it's, it's the way that we feel that gardening is portrayed to the, the the mass public and whether we think it's not whether it's right or wrong because again it's just our opinion but but our views on the way it's portrayed and um, the pros and cons of that, I think, because during lockdown, I think so many people were um, suddenly finding themselves in their garden, who may not have been mm. naturally drawn towards their garden, and so we obviously right, uh, think that there's been an in- injection of, of newcomers to horticulture, and uh, and that is absolutely fantastic, and it's it's making sure that we give these people um, and a route into horticulture which is accessible, but also which is going to give them good results. Mm. So um, we touched on this right at the start, didn't we, that we wanted anyone who's new to horticulture coming into it to be um, really enthused by it because it is such a a fascinating topic and we absolutely adore it. You can tell we're so passionate about this, this wonderful hobby and profession of ours. But at the same time, it's making sure that they're guided the right way so that they're not sort of going in... all all enthusiastic and then get disillusioned and disappointed when things don't work correctly so it's it's sort of working out um how how to handle that really because anyone coming into horticulture we we so want to encourage that um and it can be daunting so it's good to make it straightforward and accessible and easy but by doing so Sometimes you're maybe glossing over things that could go wrong, and and maybe you're giving people a, a false perspective of of how things would would be. Um, yeah. So that's that's our our kind. Of, it's it's the fine line between those 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 two extremes, isn't it? It's,
0: it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because though gardening is meant to be the national hobby, I'm guessing there's not a huge number of people who are taking it to the highest degree. Most people are mm. now and again. Kind of gardeners, maybe over the Easter holiday or or when a break. And and you're absolutely right. With the lockdown, obviously people have had the time on their hands and have wanted to get involved mm. in their garden more. I think the classic uh, example is the resurgence in grow your own. Uh, that's a that really has um, been lifted over this whole period. But for a new garden uh, gardener, it could be quite it is quite daunting because. It is a skill-based hobby in some ways. You you do have to have a certain level of knowledge and understanding of both, and this is where it's hard to explain, the specific thing you're doing, but also the sort of very general understanding of gardening. Because in Mm. the background of gardening, there are lots of... They're loose rules, but they're still a set of rules to understand how a garden works, how the soil works, how a plant works. When you do your training uh, and literally most people start with either a level two uh, RHS qualification or an NVQ level two, they take you right back to the very fundamentals of of what it means, uh, what the natural world does. So things like how things grow, um, What's happening on in your soil? Uh, how does climate mm. affect things? There's a lot of chemistry involved as well as biology. And I think that for a lot of people, they don't really come to gardening already armed with that knowledge. So when they're trying to understand what's actually physically going on in their gardens, whether it's their tomatoes aren't growing or that uh, tree or uh, a classic is anything that's ericaceous, why is that ericaceous bush looking a bit awful actually having Mm. a basic understanding of those background things that are going on actually makes you so much a better gardener and one of the things i know that you and me are a bit worried about is that the sort of the very easy um approach to uh making gardening an easy subject sort of glosses over that element Mm. of of knowledge that you, you 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 should try and get to make you a better gardener and in the end may actually see you failing rather than actually succeeding even though you're trying to do something that they say is easy and it, and if you don't yeah. do something that's easy or it fails your instant thought is oh i'm just not very good at this I'm not a very good gardener yeah and then you can give up and that's really what we don't want no
1: I think like you say it's it's, it's making it accessible to people and we all we all want to do that but at the same time as I say it's not pe- setting people up to to fail why why compare it to sometimes is I do sometimes worry that in horticulture we're scared of saying that you've actually got to put a little bit of effort in. So if you watch, say, for example, cookery programs. So cookery, again, lovely hobby. We all absolutely adore cookery as a nation. Um, The bake-off is a testament to that. So you have cookery programs that actually show the process of creating a specific recipe. They're really quite involved. They need specific ingredients that you've got to go and seek out and find. You've got to measure them and weigh them and put them in in the right order, the right volume, Treat whatever you're doing, you know, in a a certain way, whether it be, you know, whisking something up or making a batter or whatever it might be. So to me, I think that the, the general public are quite competent and quite happy being told these are the specific methods you need to follow to make a decent cake. And if you don't do that, your cake's going to be rubbish. <laughs> and I, I do mm-hmm. worry that in horticulture, we don't seem to have the confidence to say that to people. We seem to make it so it is so, as you say, accessible, which I think is, is good. But at the same time, why can't we just add a little bit more detail to things, as you say, to give people the foundation, the understanding, so that if something happens specific to their garden, which might be different to someone else's garden at the other end of the country, you know, we, we, we do need to arm people with that, with that knowledge so that they can make decisions to make sure that their plants grow correctly. So, that, yeah, I think, like I can say I think of people like, I know sadly past now, but Gary Rose, his recipes were so complex and um, MasterChef on the TV now. I mean, goodness! You look at that. The the recipes there that those people are creating are absolutely phenomenal, but they're incredibly complex. But as a, as an audience on watching that on TV, we enjoy that program. You know, it's it's, it's mainstream. It's on prime time TV, so we know that the public do like to look at more complex things to get good results and and show these high standards. So, could we maybe do that in horticulture too? Slightly more than possibly we are at the. At the moment,
0: I think the other thing that we're very scared of mentioning in horticulture is the aspect of time in gardening. Mm. Everything, and I think this is a societal thing, everything has to be instant, quick, uh, do it now, it'll be ready instantly. But actually Mm. gardening is a very slow process. It's probably the ultimate in slow TV or slow whatever in that lots of plants, gardens take time, whether it's within a year or many years. And I just think we get very scared of mentioning that to people because I think we're really worried we're going to put them off. I do worry what that says about society, that if you mention that, oh, you're not going to get asparagus for three years, you know. People will stop trying to grow asparagus. Oh. That's part of the fun. That's part of the excitement. That
1: do you know? Yeah. Whenever I whenever I write about asparagus, I almost apologise about that part. If mm. I ever put that in an article, I say, you know, so I have to sort of say, brace yourself. You've got to wait for this length of time. But but yeah, like you say, that's it, that, that's the wrong approach, isn't it? We sh- we should, you know, there's so much that's rushing by in life and everything's so quick and 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 as much as that makes things easy and accessible and we can have pretty much whatever we want whenever we want it it also stresses people out we know that the the flip side of that is that actually anxiety and stress is massively on the rise and um and so horticulture by that by its very nature of having that slow pace that you know, things aren't instantaneous. They are going to take, as you say, not just weeks or months, but sometimes years to get results. Um, surely that has, as you say, a place in society these days to just slow things down. A lot of people were saying in lockdown, you know, the, the, the fact that they couldn't rush around and commute and they were more doing more working from home. I've had lots of people saying that they've enjoyed uh, much more of a balance of work and family life through this and so we as a, as a society we do actually enjoy that aspect of things but as you say we don't seem to be able to embrace it in horticulture when we when we convey it on media on tv on radio whatever and
0: and, and, and you're right on the media i think they found it very hard that's why there's no um garden off or whatever you would call it that sort of format of tv which they've done for baking they've done for sewing they've done for pottery they've done for all this craft they haven't really got that system for gardening because it just takes too long i guess for them to film a program and i think the 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 big phenomenon that's happened in at least the last decade of my life maybe 15 years is social media obviously me and, and lucy use our twitter accounts quite a lot that's how we ask you to get in contact with us but there is a flip side to social media in that it's always portraying the best or the most visually stunning or um, people are are trying to live up to an ideal vision of what horticulture should be over these platforms you know I, i'm guilty of it occasionally i sometimes put out the best flowers i just put a brugmancia post out um you know and just to show you w- what i grow in some ways but i didn't show you the uh the couple of brugmancias that i lost due to to rot and maybe that's what i should do a bit more of but we do worry that there's so m- oh. the other thing i should say about social media is there's just so much opinion everyone can access it. It's great. It, mm. It's it's egalitarian. You know, there's no one person sort of dominating. Although it can skew it towards a few individuals, but that plethora of information can also mean there's a lot of inconsistencies. And I think one thing we we've noticed definitely is that um, a lot of people can post things on there claiming to know what they're talking about, and actually they can be giving you quite bad information. And again, if you're a beginner and you don't have that base. That uh, inf- um, education on gardening, uh, you'll just take them uh, at their word.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I should say, as a society, we do like things to be very pretty and um, are, you know really appealing to our eyes. And I think that's probably why, for the moment, for me, I don't have an Instagram account because I. Don't have the patience to style up my photographs to look that pretty in the first place. I normally take them when I'm at work, mm. and I just have my phone with me, and I snap something. And it's it's it's. I I like to label my my tweets as authentic. I don't embellish them very much. They literally are what you can yeah. expect to see. I'm not trying to elevate it or make people get their expectations really really high. I'm reporting on what is actually actually happening. And it's you know I'm I, I trial stuff. I grow stuff and. And I just show what's what my experience is of that. And that, I guess, as I say, that authenticity is um, maybe what we should be uh, showing, not more of, because I understand completely how, you know, I've, I've worked in editing gardening magazines. We always used to choose lovely photos of this and that and really beautiful lead shots that draw you in. And it's it does get you... Um, inspired and excited and want to read more or, or, or learn more about the topic but at the same time does it for newcomers who as I say who who still have yet to sort of experience a few years of gardening under their belt to understand how many flowers you actually will get and when and then they're not going to all come at once um is it building up hope and expectation just to get people disappointed at the end I know um, I don't think you will mind me saying but Jade my apprentice she's uh, a novice when it comes to fruit and veg growing she, and we, we've had such fun this spring and summer sh- me showing her how to do things and she, mm. she's got a property on site she's got a big garden and she's dug up so many beds to grow veg it's absolutely d- lovely but she said to me she said Lucy she said no one told me about all these pests that are going to come along and destroy stuff. She yeah. said she she was um, very much when she first came. She was very much of the opinion of trying to be, you know, natural to her approach and encouraging beneficial, beneficial creatures in to to get the balance right. And I think now she sees that sometimes that that doesn't work. If you have a pest ex- population explosion, which happens in all manner of scenarios sometimes it doesn't just sort itself out. You do have to intervene. And I think um, that's real. You know, she she can, and I'm teaching her the ways to combat these pests, to prevent them happening in the first place. Or if you do have to control them, ways to control them that we are environmentally responsible. So I'm hoping that's giving her a really nice foundation in horticulture. And um, yeah, fingers and toes crossed, she'll be around in horticulture for many decades to come. Yeah, I,
0: I- I think it is our responsibility as professional gardeners, definitely, to make sure that the information that's being given out is, like you say, real and authentic. Um, because, mm. for for us, we want new people to come into into the sector. I I, I know the, the the whole hobby is dominated mostly by amateurs, but from a professional point of view, we definitely want people who are coming in who want to learn those things uh, and make themselves better gardeners. So I really do hope that the future of encouraging this sort of new audience that we have does hit hint with a dose of realism and hopefully discussing some of those topics we've talked to now. But I will say to anyone who's thinking of taking up gardening, just just do it and 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 be open soak it up like a sponge that's what I say to my apprentice take all the information in and then practically apply it and then if you fail that's more information soak it in if you succeed more information soak it in and then it all sort of coalesces to make you a much better gardener in the long run
1: So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform.
0: Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal, and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues, old and new, so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual world.
1: Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all.
0: Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye!